0: Welcome to The Creative Endeavor, the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. Well, I hope this episode finds you well and in the midst of a creative flurry in your own studio space. You better get that pot of coffee on, get your cup of tea ready, and kick back for a little while because I have got one epic interview to share with you today. In this episode, I'm interviewing Carla Grace, who's an exceptional wildlife artist Her work can be described as hyper-realistic. It actually goes far beyond a photograph. Her works look incredibly time-consuming. She is an artist who is absolutely dedicated to her craft and passionate about her subject matter. I've had the pleasure of seeing many of her paintings on her Instagram feed, and this is where I initially connected with Carla. I reached out to Carla because I could tell that she had a real fantastic knack for the business side of art, and I wanted to hear more about her secrets and her strategies for success. She's amassed quite a following on Instagram with over 50,000 followers. Carla is an example of a young artist on top of her game and really going forward in leaps and bounds. We dove deep into the business side of her art practice, and also we talked shop with some technical aspects as well. On top of this, I wanted to hear more about Carla's personal story and how she ended up in the position where she is today. This is gonna be one of those interviews that I go back and listen to again and again. There are so many nuggets, so many strategies in this interview that you can take away and act upon. It was a real treat to interview Carla. Now in this episode, there's a couple of references to some visuals. And remember, you can find the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel. To find my channel, just search Andrew Tischler. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, this is the creative endeavor. Well, Carla Grice. Welcome to the Creative Endeavor Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure having you here.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Well, just to kick things off here, why don't you start off by telling us about your story, maybe how you got into art in the first place, maybe a little bit more on your background before we get into your fantastic art.
1: Yeah, I was uh, born in South Africa and we grew up in three different Well, I've immigrated five times, but three of those immigrations have been in different parts of Africa. So wildlife has always been part of my life and is something that I'm really drawn to. So that made choosing my subject matter really easy. And I moved to Australia in 2014 uh, after dropping out of uni um, and then just decided to give it a go. I sort of transitioned from working full-time as a legal secretary, and then slowly gave myself more and more time dedicated to the artwork, and then eventually it became my full-time career, which was a scary day to launch into, but well worth it.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow. I I definitely want to unpack that and find out more about that. Um, So tell us a little bit more about what it was like, because I mean, looking at your Instagram page, you do some fantastic wildlife paintings. So obviously this background that you had growing up in South Africa and and your background in Zimbabwe as well, that filtered through into these fantastic paintings. So tell me a little bit more about what that was like and, and some of the things that you were exposed to growing up.
1: Well, Zimbabwe was, I think, the key uh, part of my life. We were there most of my childhood and it was during the time before the the war sort of kicked off and, and most people had to leave, which was our case as well. Um, it was when animals were sort of part of your everyday life. Our lawn, um, our backyard ran straight into the Kariba Lake and so often we had crocodiles Uh, On our lawn at night, there was a problem with hippos coming up, eating the lawn, and when the lake was still low, we had a lot of elephants coming through and other animals as well. It was just a rich vibrancy of wildlife. And so I think I never saw animals as something scary. It was just part of everyday life. And so the way that translates now through to the paintings is I'll never paint something that's ferocious or that you'll look at and think, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a monster, you know, because that's never how I've seen them. And I look for a characteristic or a poise, something in, in the eyes of the animal or the way that the animal's holding themselves that I feel does justice to how an animal should be felt or experienced. And then that comes through in the way that I paint them, which is why I work realistically as well.
0: Mm. So have you always been drawn to that realistic style? You, have you tried anything impressionistic at all, or is it? <laughs> I have mainly... tried. Right,
1: and I'm terrible at it. I'm so bad. I think it's just a uh, personality thing. Comes down to just wanting to be in control and doing everything so precisely and uh, disciplined that I just have to get it real. It needs to look like you can touch it. Yeah, like there's something behind there.
0: I suppose it's almost a homage to the to the animal itself in a way. You want to do that as much justice as possible, and almost yeah, yeah, make it make it leap off the canvas. I I really feel that when I look at your work, you know, sometimes it's nice to see when a painting goes beyond a photograph, and and I I think your work does that in in many cases. And and just in honor of the wolf painting behind you, I'd (laughs) like you and everybody else watching this on YouTube to notice I'm wearing my lone wolf cap. Check that out. eh? How about that? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So so you you studied, you, you were. it sounds like you went from a background where art wasn't really part of it at all, and then you just got to this point where you threw up your hands and went, okay, that's it, I've got to go for art. Tell me what that moment was like for you. And, and maybe actually, what were you studying for? What was the university degree that, that you were going for in the beginning?
1: Well, I finished high school uh, and then... I never really wanted to go to university because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, The last thing on my career list was to be an artist just because everyone knows the stereotype associated with being an artist. Um, It's not a great career choice, all these different things, uh, despite always being good at art. So I went to uni anyway and did sort of a first year with a whole range of different subjects, and then hated it. Couldn't see myself doing anything more in that area, and decided, "Well, I'm good at art, so I'm going to drop out and go to a fine arts uni." Uh, went there and hated it, oh, wow. <laughs> but I stayed to have to get a diploma just because that was uh, what was the thing to do. Um, just having nothing to your name after being at uni for three years didn't really um, sit well with me, I guess. So I stayed for two years, got a diploma and dropped out. Uh, My work is not very conceptual and it's not very uh, traditional in the sense of the progressive nature that the art career is typically meant to take, especially if you're going through a university uh, system and you go and you get New galleries and your grants, et cetera, et cetera, and you build your career that way through a massive portfolio. That sort of didn't work for me, and I had a lot of conflict with the tutors. So, (laughs) two years um, I dropped out and moved to Australia. Wow.
0: So, you were doing your university diploma outside of Australia?
1: In New Zealand, yeah.
0: In New yeah. Zealand, okay. Well, look, yeah. we won't we won't mention the name of the institution, but um, yeah. I I can definitely relate to that experience one hundred percent. And it's funny, you know, when you say your work isn't conceptual, maybe maybe it's just me, but I see realism and, and realist paintings as as highly conceptual. I think there's actually a lot of thought that goes into what you do, and maybe sometimes it, it doesn't have to be. A complicated idea. Mm. But I, I think our role as artists, and I'd love to see if you agree, but I think our role as artists is to communicate visual phenomenon and do it with feeling and also in such a way that people can understand. Um, I think it's a great failing of many tertiary institutions that they, they turn out art and artists that the public can't get behind and they can't understand. And therefore, I think it's failed as art.
1: Yeah well that's actually really cool that you say that because that's what I was feeling while I was studying and then leaving university really confirmed that for me. You're looking it depends what you want to achieve in the art industry of course. University will work really well for some artists but it really won't for others as well and realism tends to fall into the art bracket where you're doing something so true to the nature of what you're painting that you're almost there's a a removal of the artist from the artwork itself. And it's not a loss of translation, but it's almost an enhancement of what the artist is trying to achieve by doing it so realistically. Um, So there's a lot of depth and theory behind that as well, which comes across first and foremost as a visual concept, which you then unpack. Whereas I found at university, they didn't want the visual aspect of it as much as they wanted the conceptual aspect of it. So Uh, I struggled mm. to justify that because I was like, well, if people don't like what they're looking at, they're not going to want to unpack it. So Mm. uh, it just didn't gel with how I saw art as being uh, a good aspect avenue for me to take.
0: <laughs> I totally get it. Can you can you remember, can you give me an example of one of the criticisms or a critique that you heard? Maybe some phrase that, that one of the lecturers Ugh. threw your way and you're like, oh, I'm taking that one.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think it was just their rejection of the visual aspect of what I do. I was always wanting to make something look impressive yeah. and then the concept would support that. Fair. And they were always just like, well, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, why can't I do that? And then it was always, well, don't back chat me. And I was like, well, <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I can't win because it's just uh, not me. So yeah.
0: I hear you. But I mean, isn't it great when you finally hit your stride and you find the thing that is yeah. you and then it just starts flowing. That's what I get.
1: Absolutely. I,
0: I remember the the university days uh, that I had um, in in Perth, Western Australia, quite well, as much as I've tried to forget them. But um, <laughs> I I had one lecturer who kept saying to me, and, and again, exactly the same thing, because I I came up wanting to paint landscapes, so and realistic landscapes, and I was into impressionism and the Heidelberg School, and 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 these big grand Australian scenes with gum trees and cows and all that mm. sort of thing. And um, I remember one of these lecturers said to me, said, Andrew, this is all well and good, but what's in it for the viewer? What's in it for the viewer? And, And I, this is one of those questions that sounds very clever, but it's impossible to answer it's yeah. but and and it because i just think it's so stupid because it, what's in it for the viewer is exactly what the viewer brings to it and clearly yes, she brought exactly. nothing to to the artwork but <laughs> it took me a while i mean i, I don't know about you but it, it took me some time to to get over that because suddenly coming out of the art school again i'm not sure if you can relate to this but coming coming straight out of the art school i felt like okay maybe i'm not an artist i have no idea where mm-hmm. i fit
1: yeah. In, in the art school, the Institute sense of the word artist, it has that um, stereotype attached to it as well. We are waiting on grants and funds and things. And I just thought I'm not that kind of person. And it also came down. Um, there's this there's a massive pressure to win awards, enter competition and get awards behind your name. Then you'll be a recognizable artist and then people will take you seriously. Galleries will take note, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and my artwork doesn't win awards in in that sense it's that doesn't make me less of an artist Um, and I think getting confident behind calling myself an artist after dropping out of high of uni and you know essentially failing at being your typical artist uh, it took a while Uh, and my husband I think he was the main catalyst for giving me the confidence to say to people I'm an artist I'm yeah. good at it.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what I
1: do full time. And then people, like, I don't know if it's the culture of Australia, but they sort of glaze over when, when I first say, oh, I'm an artist. And then you sort of see them retract in their brain being like, how do I get out of this conversation?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're what I would call a glitch in the matrix. You, you, <laughs> you run foul of their, uh, you know, you're, it, it, it flies in the face of their programming. You know, yeah, it's yeah. that. That's that's how I see it. But um, for the, some people are cool. Some people are like, oh yeah, and then they want to they want to ask you all about it. Now, did yeah. you did you did you go for awards? Um, like out 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 of your diploma, did you did you try and enter some of these?
1: Yeah, I've entered a few competitions, gotten through as a finalist for many of them. I won a minor award for painting. Uh, I think it was two years ago. Uh, I've been a finalist in the David Shepherd Wildlife Artist of the Year Award.
0: Congratulations. Uh,
1: oh, thank you., <laughs> yeah. uh, but I sort of that was during a time where I was really motivated to enter competitions and uh, build my resume according to what I would like uh, established artists like art industries to take note of. Uh, and I've sort of moved past that now because of social media and how accessible. I become to everyone, uh, it sort of has become a little bit more of a background focus for me. I'm not as determined to enter and win competitions because a lot of my artwork got damaged, uh, mishandled by the galleries that were presenting them, all those sorts of things. So when it comes to weighing up the pros and cons of doing the competitions, um, not just that, that but the financial aspect of it because you're posting artwork International, and you're paying duties and shipping and framing, and it just eventually you got to weigh up why am I doing this? Uh, And then just set your mind for it and go. Mm
0: -hmm. Not, Not to mention the emotional toll that it takes. You know, despite all the, all the technical things that you have to run around to, to achieve the emotional toll that it takes, I, I've found that with, with awards as well. I I've entered a few, but I vowed, um, years ago to, to never do that again. And I just, I've only ever won one award, which was the Alina Brady art award from my high school, Applecross, Applecross senior (laughs) high school, uh, which was an award that was given to me by the other students um nice. <laughs> for you know showing dedication to art uh, i was that weird kid sitting in the class even during the lunchtime after art was finished <laughs> uh, after the class was finished i was sitting there drawing in my file and they thought you know well he's pretty dedicated we'll give it to this kid <laughs>
1: <laughs> i actually won an award um when i was 14 years old in new zealand uh it was like it was some high school competition where you could just enter in all your work and i won the overall so i think i was in year 9 i won the overall art uh, awards. So they did it by year and then an overall one and I won that one award.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So that
1: I think was the first one that I won.
0: Excellent. So how many, jumping around a little bit here, Carla, but but how long were you in New Zealand for? Um, five, six years. Wow. And where were you based? Uh,
1: Toronga in the Bay of Plenty.
0: Oh, beautiful. Did you get a chance to see this beautiful country travel around?
1: Most of it. uh, Mostly the North Island. I found that when you're actually living in a place, you don't tend to do the touristy things. Uh, So even like Zimbabwe. And then so we fled them to New Zealand, uh, stayed till I was 14. And then we moved to Zambia, uh, where I stayed till I was about 19, and then back to New Zealand to Auckland to study for a little bit. And then I decided to move to Australia because
0: why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> wow, you you certainly have, you know, a really diverse fantastic past it sounds like. What an adventure. Um you you mentioned something there uh, just a little while ago about um the David Shepard Art Award. And um, David Shepherd's a hero of mine. I mean, and, and I'm I'm big in, into wildlife art. I mean, I've got my father's sculptures behind me. He's a wildlife artist, and um, I, I just love David Shepherd's work. So, have you have you got any any art heroes or influences that you can share with us?
1: Uh, C.J. Henry, I think, would be my biggest influence, mostly because her and I actually have very similar story in terms of being born in South Africa. Uh, and then moving and then establishing ourselves. She's moved further and moved to New York, but she, the way that she approaches art and the whole industry of art has been a huge, I think, release to me, uh, releasing me from the traditionalist uh, ambitions, I think. You sort of can bypass the galleries, uh, even though you still do need gallery relationships to some extent. It's not essential, and her her whole career has been fantastic for that. Uh, Coco Chanel, <laughs> I know she's not an artist, but uh, the way she also approached the challenges that she faced, uh, I've got many business inspirations. It's not just artists, I think. Um your artwork was actually when I first moved, because I first moved to Perth when I moved to Australia and I went to the Applecross gallery and one of your portraits of an indigenous elderly man was hanging in the Applecross gallery and they, the gallery owners, they were just glowing over this portrait. (laughs) And I remembered your name and that was I think 2012.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Long
1: time ago. Yeah, uh okay. I, I went there just for a short a short visit. Uh, had a little exhibit mm. and then two thousand and twelve. Yeah, I think that a long time ago. Uh, and then finished well, dropped out of uni in between then and two thousand and fourteen. So yeah. So I've known your name for a while too. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that um, that chap's name was uh, Colin Dixon, and he's uh, he's a guest on the podcast as well. Uh, his awesome. episode is, um, I think, by the time this goes out, I would have already released that one. Um, so yeah, no, fantastic people. And, and when it comes to galleries, that was my most positive experience was with that gallery in Apple cross, uh, for the most part, I've just got a long string of horror stories when it comes to working with galleries, (laughs) but let's, let's dive into that in a way, because I, I find, find what you, what you're saying there is, is quite interesting because, isn't it interesting what, what's happening now with today's world, with social media, with the internet, that the power has really been put in our hands and we're now able to reach our market, our clients, our buyers directly. And now the galleries are nearly obsolete. Now I know a few of them out there would be grumpy that I'd be saying that, but <laughs> h- how do you find that whole relationship?
1: Um, hmm. It's a very tiring relationship uh, that I'm finding at the moment. It's, Almost, I think, I don't know, I've attributed it to the whole starving artist thing where artists tend to be quite needy, I think, and galleries, I mean, the history of galleries is that they're providing a service for artists to get their work out and then they create this big portfolio and then an artist becomes noticeable through a gallery, through the prestige of the gallery. So uh, the galleries have seen me as, I guess, I need them rather than. It's actually them needing me and the way that I can market myself on social media would benefit them. Uh, And it's sort of if you flip it around and look at it from a business perspective, the artist is actually the one paying the gallery for their services, whereas the galleries treat it like the galleries are paying the artist. Uh, So there's a very a strained, I think, relationship at the moment, especially because artists are being so self, self-marketed, self-promoted through social media that galleries are sort of needing to step up the game and I've, I've struggled to find galleries that can do what I can't uh, through social media especially yeah
0: it's it's so interesting isn't it i mean we we go to these these establishments with our with our hat and hands almost begging for yeah you know it feels like like applying for a job but what you're saying is true yeah. and i've always felt that that you know what uh, you work for me <laughs> and, <Exactly>. and, and <laughs> consequently i didn't get into many galleries with that attitude um <laughs> You know, I, I did yeah. have some positive experiences, but I, I did have some very negative ones too. But I find that the that paradigm, that that business model is still clinging on. And that's something that I get asked a heck of a lot through, you know, social media, by email, I people asking me all the time, Andrew, how do I get into galleries? I'm like, why do you want to get into galleries? and and uh, you know now we have this fantastic example in you and and maybe we don't need them at all maybe we can actually make this work as a business because i mean look let's face it on top of you know yeah they might promote you they might market your work and all of that but they're taking a massive chunk of of your income and if you do have a little bit of business savvy you can keep that money and reinvest it into your business and maybe even delegate that to somebody else not a gallery
1: yeah so i've sort of now taken a a look at the whole gallery uh, service as a way of delegating. So I have two pieces in a gallery in Singapore, which is unfortunately becoming one of those negative experiences because they're just not are uh, worth their cut at the moment and they're asking for 50 percent so I said to them you've got to be able to do what I can't so you've got to be able to reach a market that I can't you've got to be able to promote it to people at a price bracket that I can't and you've got to be able to deliver a service to those people as well as to me that is worth that percentage and they convinced me that they were you know able to do that and the past few months it just hasn't wouldn't even be comfortable paying them 30%, which is your usual. But i found that online galleries. So if a gallery has a big online presence, uh, has their gallery set up online so people can access them from any corner of the world, that's an awesome gallery. Like Blue Thumb is a really good example of that. Mm. It's an Australian based online art gallery. I've had a lot of exposure through Blue Thumb. Uh, They take, i think it's 30 percent as well so your standard gallery cut very reasonable uh, yeah yeah really reasonable and they take care of the logistics of the shipping you just got to package it and then have it ready for a guy guy to pick up so there are some galleries that are really stepping up to it and they don't actually have a physical gallery space Mm -hmm. so needing the bricks and mortar of a gallery space isn't really an essential element that we're looking for anymore it's become a lot more open.
0: Isn't it amazing how much the world is changing now through the internet? I mean, it almost yeah. seems cliche to say now, but I still marvel at the fact that that you know just just how quickly things have gone, and and now that the paradigm shifted, it just feels like galleries have been caught on the back foot and they're just trying to keep up now. So it's wonderful to hear if somebody is going to embrace that te- technology, represent artists in a really good way, yeah. and then promote that and push it out there. Let's let's back up a little bit. Let's say there's somebody listening to this podcast and they they go okay look all this stuff about galleries all that said okay that's all well and good but I still feel I really want to go for a for a gallery I'm gonna go get my work into a gallery what would be your best advice to to getting somebody just in the door how would they make that approach
1: I find that when the artist approaches the gallery the gallery is automatically got the upper hand when it comes to how they treat the artist. So I've, I've tried that and I've noticed the difference between how galleries treat me. If I go into a gallery and I say, Hey, I'm Carla Grace. I would like to seek representation through you. What, what is involved? Then they're all like, Oh, you first have to provide me with your portfolio. And then we will consider your work and you know, rank it with the rest. Have I seen your work before? Like it starts to get very, um, you know. (laughs) Snooty. Yeah, very snooty. Whereas I've found that the galleries that have approached me online, so through my marketing, through the social media presence that have approached me and said, hey, we love your work. We would love for you to consider um, hanging, you know, an artwork with us then i can say okay what can you do for me uh how can we work together that we can both benefit and that you know we're both going to be well off together on this relationship and you establish a relationship with them based on a more confident approach i guess rather than a please sir can no. you help me yeah, yeah. uh it's But it's hard to do that because if galleries aren't looking at your work, uh, let's say social media, it just isn't your thing, you're finding marketing yourself very challenging because it's hard to put yourself out there and say, this is what I do, like my stuff. it's be prepared for a gallery, Uh, have a pitch prepared, be confident about what it is that you do, don't walk in there without a portfolio. Uh go in there smart like look smart don't look like you're a starving artist look like you're someone that's worth their time and confidence sells way above even I mean you can present really bad art but if you present it in a way that says this is going to be the next new thing without being cocky <laughs> uh, they'll they'll take note and they'll listen to you so if galleries are going to be your way out, um, going to be the way that you present present yourself to people, then you're going to need to be really confident about what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and where you're going to go with it. So coming in with a body of work and not having anything to talk about beyond that body of work uh, won't really get you too much notice. They want to see ambition. They want to see a future in you. They They don't want to be Oh, it's just a flash in the pan sort of thing. So they they really want to see that there can be a further relationship rather than just hanging a piece of artwork. Yeah,
0: that's 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 fantastic. So I can I can see as well from from that type of approach, your your work would really have to speak for itself as well. Like it, your yeah. work would be doing a lot of the the sales job for you. You know. Yeah. Um. So naturally, you would have to have like quality work would you wouldn't you say
1: yes Yes. Mm. so coming in with artwork that's on really cheap paper that looks like it's just been slapped together things that when you look at the back you sort of you're worried about the archival quality of it galleries want to see something with quality in it um but they also want to see a bit of quantity like they want to be able to see what a body of your work would look like so if you're only doing two or three paintings and you rock up and you say, hey, look at my stuff, and you don't really have any future plans, you don't really know where you're going, uh, you're presenting it on the cheapest of cheap uh, art materials that you can get from the art store, uh, It's it presents a very unreliable avenue for them to pursue because you're not just – you're not just putting your gallery your stuff in a gallery the gallery is presenting your stuff as their brand as well so if you want to go to the highest selling most posh gallery in the in the city that you live in you're going to need to present artwork that supports their brand as well not just go in and say hey i'm i'm really good and then you present work that doesn't support what their vision is as well then it's not going to get past the door really it's would just be a sad story to add to your list.
0: Well, yeah. that that was one of the mistakes that I actually made early on as well as not finding an appropriate fit, mm. um, not doing my due diligence, my homework and and finding someplace that would be a good home for, for my work, yeah. you know, it was like either no, too contemporary, but I was like, well, this is yeah. a really good gallery. They've got a great <laughs> name. But consequently, they're like, no, you're not showing here, kid. Yeah. You know, we, we don't do landscapes. We don't do cows and gum trees. Yeah. <laughs> Get <out of> here. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, um, absolutely.
0: You know, so, so your, the, the social media aspect, the online aspect has really been, would you say that's been responsible for, for putting your name out there, putting Carla Grace on the map?
1: Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Without social media, uh, flip, I don't even know what I'd do because I've been around to local galleries and they've just sort of done the whole, I will consider your portfolio um, thing and just, yeah, the ones that do represent me have found me through social media. So, yeah, without social media, it's definitely the most powerful marketing tool for artists or people with talent, Uh, people that want to do something outside of of a corporate, I guess, an industry structure where you get recognized within – your industry through firms. Uh, it's definitely the most powerful marketing tool. Mm. Yeah.
0: I, I I just love it. I mean Instagram especially for how it connects people. Um because I mean that's how I found out about you uh through through Ben and shout out to Ben, uh the truck driver. In <laughs> Thanks, fact, ben. do you mind do you mind if I read Ben's message? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so this this is from Ben. Hey Andrew, really enjoying your podcast. Um, actually enjoy everything you put out. So cheers, Ben. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. <laughs> um, hey, you may already know of her, but I've been following a South African artist living in Adelaide who moved here when she was younger. Carla Grice is her name. She has just gone <laughs> from strength to strength, a very real, uh, very real and just lays her heart out. I'd huh. give her handle, but I don't know it. Well, it's all right. We've connected anyway. Anyway, check her out if you get a chance. So
1: thanks, Ben.
0: And so it's 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 from from messages like that as well. It's great because I do get requests for people to interview. But when I when I first, you know, saw your Instagram, I I followed you immediately, and then I noticed, wow, you've you've got nearly fifty thousand followers. Now I know it's not a numbers game, but still. (laughs) That's That's no small feat of getting that many <laughs> followers. So how long have you been on Instagram for, and how have you amassed this? What can you attribute that kind of following Ooh. to? Uh,
1: Instagram's a tricky one because they're always changing the algorithm. So as soon as you get comfortable with a way of working with Instagram, they'll change it. I started posting my artwork on Instagram. In 2015, I believe, I didn't even want to use Instagram because I was like, I just don't get it. And then a friend of mine, Dylan, a shout out to Dylan, he actually set up my Instagram profile for me and started posting artwork. And then once he started going, getting it going for me, I sort of took the reins from there. But I didn't really start using it efficiently till maybe 2016 when I could actually produce the artwork at a rate that would create the momentum that you need for a daily post um, and a story and friggin hashtags. <laughs> wow!
0: Really
1: cool. uh, so, and then, I mean, Instagram's changed their algorithm three or four times since I started using Instagram more efficiently. And recently it's sort of, I'm also, I like numbers. So even though you say it's not just a numbers game, I still love checking the numbers and you see the stats and, What time of the day is the best time to post? Uh, What countries are responding more to the post? What type of post gets more shares? What do people like interacting with on your story more? And I'm always trying to figure it out. I don't think it's something that I've actually really nailed, like Mm -hmm. really, really got good at because I'm always trying to think of more creative things, better ways to post, better ways to photograph, um, create quality material to actually post so i think a year ago i got myself a really good camera i got myself some softbox lighting um i don't know if you can see but there's a white wall there in yep. a room that is otherwise very brown mm-hmm. just to create a light surface to actually create the videos from otherwise uh you sort of lose the contrast so creating an wow. environment that supports good content has mm-hmm. been become more of a a focus for it's not just creating the artwork. I think that's actually just the first step. Mm. It's once you've created the artwork, you've then got to take it and present it to the world and then you got to sell it. And then how do you sell it? So Mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's become, I call it a game, but I know some people get offended when they, when it's not a game being an artist while you sort of, you're Oh, lighten up people. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's playing, but it's at the same time it's it's a business as well. it's and uh, I offended a few people a while ago uh, with a post that I where I spoke about what I do in the light of it being a business. Mm-hmm. and quite a few people got offended by that saying, mm-hmm. uh, you're an artist, you know, it shouldn't be all about the money. And I was like, well, it's it's not all about the money, but at the same time, if I can't fund what I do, then I won't be able to do what I do. So yeah, you got to figure out the best way to sell your work in a way that is profitable.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. a business. Absolutely. <laughs> so, it's yeah. it is it is the hardest thing to balance I've found. Yeah. is dealing with the economic aspect yet at the same time maintaining your personal integrity, your authenticity. And you know, it, social media seems to be one of these things that personally pulls me out of myself, where now I'm considering things that are external and no longer really focusing within. And so constantly, it's a it's a habit I, I, I'm getting into now of just checking back in. So I almost find that I'm going through daily rituals. Um, I, I don't post every day, you know, on Instagram. I, I've had a lot of trouble... Just keeping up with social media, so I'll post now and again just to make sure people know I haven't died. (laughs) But but I'll I'll throw something up there maybe every week or every other week or something like that. But you're you're posting nearly nearly daily, which is pretty Mm. impressive. Um, And so it's no wonder you've got that many people. But I I I get that. Um, It's it's so interesting because when you're focused on those external factors, be it recognition through social media be it money and and now suddenly you're you're not focusing on the art i i I get that i think it was alan watts talking about this and he was talking in regards to to dancing or dancers where the the art is making it look like it is effortless and it's like a play and it's free-flowing, yet there's this amazing thought process going on behind it and it's about balancing those two things. It is almost an impossible task.
1: Mm. It is. It's so challenging. I always, at the start, I think when I was so insecure about being an artist and, you know, doing what I do, I was trying to do artwork that I thought other people would want to see. Wow. And that was the worst thing that I could have done mm. uh, for myself. I I would burn out regularly. I would just be un. Inspiration is a very dangerous thing to talk about because it's it's not the drive. So inspiration is is the creativity behind the ideas, but then it's just bloody hard work to actually make the artwork. Um, so I, I had no inspiration like at all for ideas to get the process going, to finish artwork. And then my husband said to me, just make art, just paint things that you like, that you want to paint. And then that is where that realness and the authenticity behind the artwork. And then now when I do a post, I can talk about it from the heart because it's come from me Mm -hmm. and it's, it's part of who I am is that painting that I've made. It's come from a history of working towards finally getting that piece out there so every post that I make I'm able to uh, put a bit of myself in there uh, without it being I guess too much information (laughs) Um, but it's yeah creating artwork for other people uh, you'll always lose yourself in that and if you're doing Instagram, doing social media marketing, if you're doing it for things that don't resonate with you, you will lose yourself in it completely.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, authenticity is one mm-hmm. of my favourite words. And again, something that I struggled with in the beginning was, mm-hmm. and, and this was a byproduct of of art school, funnily enough, mm-hmm. um, where everybody was chasing around trying to find what was original, yeah. And consequently, not focusing <laughs> on what actually matters to them, and yep. so that's how you end up with all these weird and wonderful things that no one likes, not even the artists that created them. And meanwhile, <laughs> everybody's ignoring their their dreams and what truly uh, really drives them. So
1: I get that so much. <laughs>
0: yeah. When I when I suddenly focused on going, okay, I'm going to paint exactly what I want to paint. That's mm. when my career just took off to a, to yep. another dimension. And Absolutely. now I can truly say that I paint what I want even Good. when I'm doing a commission for somebody. Mm. Um so how have you found that like the, the commission process? Do you take commissions mm. and, and how do you balance that out and maintain your authenticity when you are painting something for somebody else?
1: Uh I originally was doing more commissions than original work. Mm. It was sort of what gave me the sort of go juice to give myself more time to put into my artwork because I was like, oh, more people are uh, wanting me to do stuff. So uh, my career, I can completely say thanks to commissions. uh, And I've transitioned away from commissions purely because it's another person's vision. When someone commissions a painting, they own the copyrights. So they have that main hold on the artwork, whereas when you create an original, it's completely – 100% you Mm -hmm. uh so I do take commissions very rarely I've been doing this one behind me um and I've got another one on the go on that side and I just finished one I'm doing commissions at the moment because life stages I'm expecting my first child in September and I just finished my first um like big scale solo exhibit in July so I was doing original work all the way up till the exhibit and had put a few commissions on hold to do between the end of July and when the baby's due mostly because I am just exhausted all the time. Uh, It's been the worst pregnancy and so I've struggled to have those original thoughts and those original concepts so doing commissions for me has sort of given me a little bit more space to sure. um, to just focus on painting, getting the job done, getting it done really well. And then it's also a guaranteed sale at the end of the day. So there's no financial pressure, knowing that I'll be having a baby soon, which will take a bit of time away from my studio.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Well, I, I do look forward to, to knowing what that's like to, to welcome a little <laughs> one into the world. So congratulations on that. Thank um, you. But as soon as we're talking about it, I, I do want to mention um, a, a post that you made on your Instagram um, uh, a little while ago. And and I loved this when I saw this come up because I was just like, wow, you go, girl. Um, uh, do you mind if I share it?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs>
0: And um, so, so here's the post and you've said here, and it's got uh, two pictures of, of your fabulous paintings and then and then you just basically looking in a very candid way to the camera, if you plan on having children anytime soon, we won't sign you on, quotes, uh, said by a gallery in Sydney after I got married. And here's another quote, now that you're going to be a mum, your career should now come forth as a priority, end quote said by a famous fine art photographer to me who has his own children, but he never sees them. And my response to these people, middle finger emoji. (laughs) To me, this talks about, you know, finding your own way of approaching your art, finding that thing that works for you, not allowing these outside influences to put this under stress and pressure on you. So how do you find this? How do you find your balance now that you're about to, you know welcome a little one into the world how are you going to continue with your art and and, and make this work from here on out
1: uh, the most honest answer is i don't know <laughs> uh, i think finding talking about your priorities and things i think if if i were to try and genuinely prioritize my life i would always be fighting a losing battle uh, it's I think it it really does come down to balancing, uh, finding a balance between being a mum, being a wife, you know, being a friend, being a daughter, being you know a cousin. You've got so many things going on in your life, and you got to balance it all. It's it's not a matter of priority. If if I were to prioritize, I would say my marriage would be my number one priority, uh, because without my husband, I I lose the most. Fundamental support structure that I have in my life. And so anything other than my marriage is just going to be a balancing act. Uh, So that might upset a few people saying, No, your kids should be the most important thing. Uh, That's almost a topic for another day, though. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. going to be, without my career, I think I wouldn't be half the person that I would be able to be for my kids. Mm -hmm. And my kids wouldn't be able to see me achieving the best possible result out of my life and being the best version that I can be of myself. And so they wouldn't have that role model as well in their life. So there's, there are so many ways to look at it and and juggle the different elements that make up your life, whether it's your kids, your family, your career. Um, I think to prioritize one over the other, you might lose yourself in that process as well so I'm very aware and very sensitive as to what I should expect of myself when it comes to being a mother um, as well as what to expect of myself as an artist and this business owner and and career focused person Uh, I don't think I can be one better than the other independently of each other I think being a mother is going to be integral to who I am as a as an artist and a career woman and being an artist and career woman is going to be integral to who I am as a mother as well so I don't think I'll be able to ever separate those two uh, it'll just be a balancing act and I don't know what that's going to look like yeah,
0: fair enough. <laughs> uh, fair enough.
1: I'm sure it's going to be tiring yeah. uh, and I'll get it wrong a lot of the time but there'll be a lot of the times where I'll get it right too and and I hope that everyone's happy to go along the journey with me (laughs) because I'm sure there will be many exhausted looking Carla Grace art posts on Instagram being like, I don't know what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) But how, how, how is it though? I mean, that, that people, I mean, so there we had an example of, of, of a gallery, you know, and then, and then a photographer giving you this, you know, this ration that you, you didn't deserve. And your reaction is almost like, well, watch me. And you know, I'll find my yeah. way. I'll do my thing.
1: <laughs> it's all background noise at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, what other people have to say about my life. Uh, it's, there's got to be a disconnect between how seriously you take other people's opinions when they don't know who you are. They don't know what you actually do, what you stand for, what your private life looks like. Uh, the only person, the only I have a handful of people who, I genuinely care about what they think. And if they see an imbalance happening in my life, then I will take what they say seriously. But otherwise, if you let everyone tell you how to live your life and do what you got to do, um, like, Oh, maybe I should have priorities and I'm a terrible person. If my kids aren't first on my priority list and you know, how am I going to live with myself or people are no longer going to take me seriously because I'm a mom. Uh, And I mean, the art industry as a whole, historically, artists were always men and collectors were always men. And so the whole shift in the modern art era has been creating an avenue for women to be successful as well. I mean, there's still a huge gap in there. I mean, male artists earn typically 47% more than female artists in the same industry. Wow. And it's, it's the gap is sort of starting to close, but you, I, that was something I struggled with actually at the start was, do I present myself as a female or do I create a gender neutral account on online? And I decided, whatever, I'll just carry on and see what happens. Um, so there are many different parts Hmm. associated with, with all of it. But I think, Ignoring the noise uh, is going to be a big part of of me being able to focus uh, on being a mum as well as an artist. I mean, I've had women email me, calling me narcissistic because I put myself in posts and all these things. So really, yeah, just <laughs> unreal. Oh, gee, like <laughs> um, up people. Yeah. So there's a lot of if you if you took everything so seriously. I mean. People are going through their own journey as well, sure. which influences the way that they will receive what I post, mm. uh, and they react based on on their experiences. So I can never really take anything people say personally because I don't know what where they're coming from either.
0: For, from here, let's let's track back a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, that moment when you were holding your 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 job your regular paycheck and your income and you're like, nope, that's it. I'm going to cut and run. I'm going into full-time art. Can, can you talk to me about that moment, what you were feeling, what that was like for you? T- take us back to that time.
1: I moved to Cairns from Perth with, uh, at the time, he was just my partner. And I went into doing more commission-based work Uh, two days a week and I worked three days a week as a receptionist at a a career apprenticeship firm place and it got to a point where I I had the support from my husband now husband then partner where he he said to me just do it because I said to him I feel like I can do this full-time I think it will be successful I think I'll be able to charge what I need to to be able to do that and he said to me just do it if you want to do it give it a go so I did and it took 3 months for me to make my first sale I was down to 80 cents to my name and wow, I was working wire, huh? I was working 14 hours a day wow just at the end of myself I guess uh, to absolutely put it all on the line and then I made my first sale and then it just went on from there and grew and grew. So that happened because I was also putting myself out there constantly. I was posting online. I was doing as much as I could through Blue Thumb, which was the online gallery that I spoke about earlier and people just slowly started to see my work and because I was focusing on doing things Really well and consistently, and we we had my husband and I we had spoken together, and we came up with you know what what does my brand want to look like? What do I want to achieve? Where am I going to go with it? Uh, what is it going to look like on a daily basis to actually make it possible? Uh, so I didn't just jump in there with no plan, uh, with no idea about what my what to expect from my day. Uh, I've heard a lot of artists say, oh, I, sometimes I just don't feel like painting and I just, you know, it'll take me months to get one painting done and then I look at what they send through and they like, oh, this painting took me a month. And I was like, that shouldn't take you a month to do. It sort of comes from a lack of just working uh, looking and that's what I said about sort of inspiration being a tricky thing earlier was inspiration is not going to get your work done for you. It's, mm-hmm. it's only that maybe that early motivation that you need to start the piece. Mm-hmm. But I find that my inspiration for a, for a painting almost never exists or it'll last for the initial idea. And then I've just got to work, just get up every day, work, focus on getting it done during the day I set a goal for the day what I want to achieve what the day is going to look like and I got to do that because if I don't then I'll fall behind on schedule and slowly a painting that would have been worth the time and effort that it took to do in that planned bracket of time is no longer worth it and it's going to be costing me money and I'll be losing Value on the artwork. And then when it comes to the sale of the artwork, something that should have been worth the time that I put into it is suddenly, you know, I feel like I'm ripping myself off because it took me too long, because I didn't establish or maintain my work goal to get it done. So it's not just a matter of uh, living the dream. I'm the artist. I can get up when I want, I can paint when I want. It's very much. If you don't do it, no one else is going to do it. So you got to do it in a way that Mm -hmm. makes it worth your time. So finding that balance has been um, really good as well, uh, as well as challenging.
0: (laughs) There's no greater motivator that I found than than fear. Um, Early on, uh, fear of not being able to pay the rent, not being able to put gas in the car. Um, you know, not, not being able to go here there or wherever I wanted because I just couldn't afford to and, and yeah. that fear of missing out. And I, I learned pretty quick, uh, in the beginning that I mm. needed to set the pace. I was very young. I, I was, I was one of the lucky ones, I guess. I was very young when I started into full-time art, but initially I was doing a bunch of, you know, spinning my tires and, and maybe just taking too long with the piece but you mentioned a few words there that are are you know, my my ears prick almost like a like a dog that hears a particular phrase. It's almost like a command for me. You, you know, plan, consistency, goals. <laughs> like, yeah. These are things that have have become almost part of my my personal religion here, where I, I have to live my day every day structured. Otherwise, it, it doesn't happen. And so I, I just appreciate that so much. And and you do, you, you see other people who, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're kidding themselves if they think it's not going to be work. Because now you're going from a position of, if you were working a job, you have somebody else set the pace for you. You have somebody yeah. else managing your time and managing the tasks. And now suddenly, you're the boss. Well, what do you yeah. do with all that power? Well, I can just wake up at 9 30 in the morning and 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 yeah. drink my coffee whenever I want and I can clock off whenever I want. Uh-uh. No, it you, you, work. It's gonna be very short-lived and you'd be going yeah. back begging for the same job you just left. So I Absolutely. I I I I appreciate what you're saying so much. So you you have a schedule and a routine. I know that routine is about to change. It's about <laughs> to be a wholesale change in your life. But let's just say, you know, the, 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 the baby aside, um, yep. let's say that, that you were, you know, just going to be working your usual routine. Can you mm-hmm. walk us through what that daily routine looks like?
1: Yeah. So I would get up every day at, let's say, 6.30 and start painting at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, this would be, you know, before showering or anything, I'd have coffee, breakfast, sit down and start, well, not necessarily painting. I'd usually do admin first thing in the morning, mostly because I'm not a morning person and I take forever to come alive. And so I would spend an hour and a half doing admin in the morning, and then I would do 30 minutes exercise. And that would just boost everything up, I'd be ready, ready to go. That's when I would have my shower and, you know, wash my hair and feel fresh, ready for the day. So from about 9 o'clock through till 4, 4.35, I would be painting uh, and making videos. So my day isn't just painting. It's A lot of it comes because of the social media aspect of it. I would break up my painting time with videoing uh, and creating this dynamic flow between the two that actually created um, a bit of space to to step away from the painting and look at it and reassess it and then keep going so my typical day would be 10 hours on average uh, Monday to Friday sometimes Saturdays and Sundays depending on how far behind I fall or uh, if things prop up in the week that just I can't help. Uh, I would always compensate for that by working a few hours either in the evening or in the weekend, just whatever happened, happened. And so it would typically every day, that's how it would look. And I'd try and do some stretching throughout the day as well because otherwise you just get a little bit too all stiff and cramped from being in the same position for hours.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think for me, the most important thing is balancing an exercise and healthy work life with uh, with a work routine. So not just eating chocolate and drinking Coke to keep the energy levels up, actually having a structured diet as well as exercise and work routine has been key, like massive.
0: Oh man, it's been massive for me too. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done a Total change in my diet and lifestyle, and uh, kicked just about every addictive substance out. Which was <laughs> so boring, <Yeah>. so awful <laughs> for the first few months. I did. I had no idea how I'd give up coffee. That was a big one. Um, so now I still need to have that taste. It's still a psychological addiction, but now yeah. I'm having decaf coffee, and I, I, I give myself one coffee a day. So that's that's all right. <laughs> but um, wow. So. So goals, I can tell, are, are very important for you as well. And so can you give me an example of, of how you go about setting a goal, maybe an example of, of one of your goals that, that you're happy to share with us?
1: So a lot of the way that I work is just based on my personality, what works well for me. So I need to stress that what works for me is not going to work for everyone else, but you can take parts of many different business structures. So I've looked at how CJ Henry works, how all these other artists, Joel Rhea, heaps, heaps of awesome artists out there, how they work, Taken bits and pieces that have resonated with me. And I've created my own structure, which I've played with and massaged and changed as time has gone on. So the goals that I have ended up setting have come in different stages. So I'll have a short term goal, which is three months that would look like a, a body of artwork that I can use to make up a show. Uh, I don't usually work on a body of like the same concept for an artwork longer than three months because I get bored of it. It's pretty simple. Uh, any longer than that, you're looking at something that will evolve over a year. So I'm looking at maybe adding elements to the painting that I wouldn't usually work in that I feel would make it a more valuable painting. So that I implement and bring into play over a longer period of time rather than just suddenly changing everything and everyone freaks out. It's sort of got to happen a bit slower. And then I look at a long-term goal. So I'm looking at a five-year goal as well. So you've got your short-term, medium your long-term goal. And that's where I want to see myself in five years' time compared to where I am now and what I have to do to get there. So, for example, I've been working on animal portraits for the past three years, and by the end of next year, I want to be making artwork that incorporates more than just animals. So there will be narrative, humour, other elements that bring in colour just because... There's nothing wrong with the animal portraits. I just need to move beyond that, grow and establish more than where I am now. So if I am exactly in the same spot that I have been, then there hasn't been any growth. Uh, and and that to me is a big part of my goals is seeing growth happen over the short term and then eventually the long term. So I keep track of it, <laughs> I monitor it, I measure it and I see how viable what was at the start of the five years, what my goal was then, how viable it really is the closer I get to that to that deadline and what I've done to make that happen. So uh, yeah, goals, I feel like if, if I just had one goal that I worked towards, I'd get to that goal and then have nothing afterwards, it'd be like, you get to the finish line, yay, okay, yeah. no, sort no. of. like yeah now what (laughs) so like I did a a marathon in Perth and all this training all this hard work and then you cross the finish line and then you don't run again for another year sort of a thing so I don't want that to become my art career I I want it to be a progressive thing Mm. Uh, so that's that's what structure I follow with the goals Mm -hmm
0: so it, it, you, yeah, marathon <laughs> sorry again <laughs> again what uh, I, I don't I, I run but I, I'm not a marathon yet uh, that's interesting how, how what has that got to do with your art Carla like uh. how, how does, do, isn't this interesting because I I personally I'm being cheeky with that question of course but yeah. <laughs> I personally uh, feel that physical exercise And when it comes to having a goal, when it comes, when it's tied up with something physical is an amazing, wonderful metaphor to then feed your creativity. So have you found a cross fertilization there?
1: Absolutely. Uh, It's well, the discipline and the focus that you need to be able to train for something like a marathon every day, despite the weather, despite how you feel is exactly the way that I look at how I work within what I do every day in the studio I mean mm-hmm. it's not running 15 kilometers a day it's working 15 hours a day in a position that isn't always going to be comfortable and working towards a goal every single day despite how you feel about it uh, so I feel like there's there's a huge correlation between, training physically for something because it's not just a physical thing. Um, I found that especially with the marathon and last year I did quite a few posts on it. I did Kilimanjaro with my husband and it becomes no longer just a physical battle. It's, it's mental. I mean, it's all in your head, how far you keep going, how much you push yourself. Uh, And that does translate a lot through the painting, and I mean, it sounds romantic of oh, painting every day, but it's really not.
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, it's hard work when you don't feel like doing something that you have to do to get from point A to point B, whether it's a physical destination or it's a goal or it's a financial thing to get from where you are to where you want to be is not going to be a walk in the park most of the time, if yeah. all the time. Uh, so there's a definite correlation between the discipline it takes to train for a marathon and the discipline it takes to grow your business, uh, whether it's as an artist or whatever it is that you do, uh, it takes a lot of self-sacrifice uh, and discipline. Yeah.
0: You know, this is this is fantastic because I as I'm listening to you, I, I'm hearing there there are so many things that I I I kind of I'm bouncing around in my head going, oh, wow, you know, I I, I kind of think like that too, you know? <laughs> um, part of the reason why the physical exercise is so important for me, and not not just physical exercise, but it could even come down to, you know, feeding my mind, nourishing my body with mm-hmm. the right food, spending time with the people that really matter to me, doing something that that interests me outside of that, having some sort of spiritual connection as well. Absolutely. I find that, you know, and I learned this from Dr. Martini, who was my guest for episode three of the podcast. And Dr. Martini talks about this in a way that human beings have seven major areas in their life. And it's our job throughout our lives to empower each one of those seven areas. I found that where most artists kind of ran into trouble through their careers is when they've got one of those things out of balance or they've completely neglected one of those items. And, um, you know, the physical thing was was quite a big thing for me and, and watching other people that would destroy themselves with, with substances, for instance, I found that, and it's, it's almost like artists are, by and large, you know, flaky people who are undisciplined and aren't empowered in every area of their lives. I mean, I'll give you another one: finances, money. That's a, That's an area that a lot of artists struggle with, and it's it's quite a challenge to to shatter that myth um, in a way. So. It's interesting hearing you talk about this. I I imagine that you've got a very similar philosophy in in trying to activate each one of these zones.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, And The more I get involved in being an artist, the more I realize that the art itself doesn't create the entire career. It's actually mostly business uh, and assessing yourself and looking at it uh, from a business perspective as well as being an artist so it's yeah absolutely 100%
0: <laughs> Look this has been fantastic so far. We haven't even gotten to the work itself which is uh, <laughs> which is something I was really dying to talk to you about because you've got a particular style that just looks, it's incredible the the effect once the painting's done but looking at like let's take your your fantastic male lion that you posted on your instagram recently and i i wish i could see that original in the flesh but you literally detail every hair that you could see now for me <laughs> i don't have patience for that but i admire that kind of dedication <laughs> talk us through your your process and how you build up a painting. Maybe let's talk shop a little bit here and yep. run us through your techniques.
1: Um, everything I do is self-taught, so I'm not sure what techniques I'm using when I paint at all. So I just work in a lot of layers. Uh, so I call my mapping layer, like I'll do a base color and then I do a mapping layer. This is where I just do Lots and lots and lots of little hairs that form the base, almost like an opacity layer. Because I work in acrylic, there it can work layer over layer really quickly, uh, and so every layer that then goes on top of this opacity layer is building up the tones for what the the final one looks like, uh, and it's just mind numbing layers of lots and lots and lots of little dashes. Um, but I don't actually paint every hair. I,
0: I'm <laughs> I sorry actually... I meant no to that. <laughs> no, no,
1: that's good. I'm glad it looks like I do because there's a lot of areas that I will always leave unfinished. A lot of areas that the paint is still quite chunky and I haven't smoothed over. So when you see a painting in real life you go, oh, it is actually a painting. Like you, you get that the impact of the image itself, which is what you see on social media. But then when you actually look at it in the in the flesh, you can see the working of it and the artist's hand behind it. So it's not completely photorealistic or hyperrealistic. It is realistic, but there are so many parts of it where I still I leave unfinished or uh, chunks of paint or bits and pieces where it's it's still leaves a bit more of the artist in there as well you could also say it's probably areas where I felt a little bit lazy in and just sort of went over quickly but then came back later uh and then just yeah as far as it comes to technique I think just patience (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it Um, a lot of people ask me oh can you do a tutorial can you teach us how to do what you do and I was like. I'd love to, but I don't know how to tell you how I do what I do. I just paint what I see. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't
1: know what it, what it's called or, or how to actually deconstruct that. So I think that's why I post the videos. Like you can see the time lapses where it goes between layers and and it's sort of it's dark and then there'll be a light layer and then I'll darken it again I'll add another light layer and it just goes between dark and light until it reaches its happy medium where it looks like it does in the photograph.
0: That's, that's wonderful though. I mean, cause the, the final, you know, amalgamation of all of these techniques, you know, that you've picked up self-taught. I love that. The, but the final result is, is so impressive. And I'm not just oh, saying you. that again, these paintings just grab you. And, and I, I, I really would love one day to be able to see the original, Um, you know, even of that wolf. I, you know, it's kind of interesting again, I got the same wolf on my hat. I just, I love it. I, <laughs> I, I got a, I got a soft spot for, for wolves and big cats and all these things. So, um, so what is, is there a particular animal that's your favorite animal? Is there, what's your favorite thing to paint?
1: I think my favorite thing to paint would be, uh, I like cute things more so than like big impressive things. So if I could paint super cute things all day, every day, that would just be total and utter heaven for me. But when it comes to the visual um, and then like finishing it, I think tigers Tigers. would have to be really Mm. high up there. Uh, Anything with patterns. I think this is is something I've I've recognized in myself. I paint things with patterns easier than I do things that are monotone, like a lion or a brown bear because it the patterns break up the mass of fur that I'm looking at painting. So it makes it seem a lot less intimidating. So I think patterns have a lot to do with my sanity by the end of the painting. Uh, whereas the first acrylic painting I painted was this massive life-size grizzly bear And I just – I had a nervous breakdown halfway through. It took me a month of full-time work to do. And that's probably why it was so draining is just because there was no break in the masses of brown fur. It was just –
0: a so, lot of work. <laughs> so while, while you're applying these techniques, w- what is your mind doing? Do you have to occupy it with music, podcasts, audio? Books? I listen to
1: e-books, ebooks, I listen to podcasts. I listen Great. to music. Yeah, my, my brain just goes off on a holiday and it becomes a very mechanical um, – it wasn't at first. It took a lot of focus uh, and a lot of figuring out at first. So what I'm doing now and how I'm working now – has taken me years to get to uh, I, I didn't work this easily like at the start that was it was hard work at the start and I just couldn't for a second like if someone t- spoke to me I had to stop what I was doing and turn around which would Really annoy me. Um, whereas now I can have a conversation. I could even be painting now while I'm talking to you, but I'm giving you my 100% attention. Oh wow! So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's taken a lot for me to get to the point where I'm comfortable so comfortable now with my process and how I work with the colors uh, that I'm able to listen to ebooks. And if I'm listening to ebook, I'll be working for four hours without realizing it, uh, and then be like in pain with my shoulders being like that the whole time I'm like why am I so sore oh, it's because I've been listening to an ebook
0: book you get the shoulder thing too yeah I, I, I lock up I got one spot and then you know when I'm when I get home in the evening I, I have to get Rachel to get her knuckle and just uh, jam it in there right there next to the shoulder yeah blade. I use a you foam
1: know? roller and roll out my back but
0: oh, now goodness. that I'm yeah.
1: I'm pregnant and my little girl is is getting I've got six weeks to go. She's sitting quite high up. So sitting for two hours at a time, I get heartburn like crazy. And so I stand up and then I get backache. And so I got to sit down again and then I get heartburn. And so it's just like this constant oh, wow. juggle of yeah. <laughs> physical discomfort now, yeah. um, but not too long to go. So it'll be good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so that, that moment when you realized that painting was no longer a conscious exercise taking up mental bandwidth and now suddenly it becomes second nature and you're able to occupy, you know, your mind with something else. Do you remember that moment where when the switch was flipped?
1: Not really. I think it happened slowly uh, and it possibly happened because I wanted that to be what it was like. Right. So I would create an environment where I was forced to take a step back almost from being so analytical about how I was working to let it flow I think making it a natural process is important to the final product finding something that comes across a lot more natural rather than something that I've overworked and been over conscious about so the work I did right at the start of my career it was I find it very stiff almost sure. like stiff, not in posture, but stiff in the way I used the materials and the way that the paint went onto the mm-hmm. canvas and, and essentially how it, how it looked to me uh, was very just, I don't know, not quite as interesting as how it comes across now, even though there might not be a visual difference between what I did right way at the start and, and what I'm producing now, from my point of view, it just happens a lot easier and there's a lot more freedom in it. And I don't always worry about whether or not I get the layer color right because that's fine. I'll just do another layer on top of it sort of a thing. So there's a lot more forgiveness, I think, with myself yeah. uh, now, which is which is good.
0: Isn't it interesting? I I find that process and methodology actually free me up, you know, Mm. quite a lot. Uh, Before, when I was involved in really labor intensive paintings, and also consequently involved in a lot of abortive work, because I didn't have that Mm. methodology behind me. I would end up with very stiff paintings, and, and I go through a very similar process uh, to what you do with with your acrylic paintings. You know, you've got your mapping. Uh, I call that blocking in. So I'll start yep. off with my my blank canvas and then block in, and then apply what I call modeling over the top of that, where it gets a little more intricate. And mm. then I've got a really good base at that point to apply the details. Yeah, you know, and I've seen other artists who have got a, a, a different approach yet again, but uh, yep. I, I found that when I Employed that methodology, and I had that process behind me. Then suddenly, I, it, it was a moment like that for me. That that's why I was asking as well because I just <laughs> I find it very interesting from what you're saying. I I remember working in my studio, and I I just had this urge to to listen to something. So I wanted to listen to some music, and then I found I was just not thinking about the painting at all. Yeah. What my brain jumped to was actually the mental chatter within, which, is, again, is not a healthy thing, mm. um, you know, because that tended to make me quite negative. But then I thought, OK, you've got to feed your mind here with something constructive, beneficial, yep. positive and educational thing. So when you're listening to to an audiobook, what give me some titles. What kinds of things are you, are you getting stuck into?
1: Uh, well, podcasts, it would be anything from business wars. Uh, I listened to a series called, uh, inspirational women of business that goes through all the, the major key players, women of business. Uh, at the moment I'm listening to an ebook series. It's like a, a fictional, mythological just entertainment stuff um stories like that make me really like forget the time and i really enjoy that it's like watching a really good movie except sure. you know it's just in your head yeah. um so i love reading well reading books that um are engaging like that uh anything really that's just a good listen mm. i mean when you're listening to 10 hours of audio a day <laughs> yeah it doesn't really fit a, a specific criteria at the end of the day. It just sort of anything. But I love documentaries. Uh, I'm listening to one on um, Audible about the dark web, which is really interesting. Uh, yeah, so many different things. There'll be wildlife podcasts. There will be all sorts of things. It's a mixed mashup, really.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Let, let's let's bring things back. You know, I appreciate you sharing your your technique and, and a little more about how you you create these paintings. I, I wouldn't mind just backtracking for a moment, though, it, back into the business side because again, I, I'm finding this really interesting talking with you now um, because I I think you are, you know, a, a fantastic role model for young. Potential creatives out there that can say, hey, here's an example of somebody who is making this work full-time. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the the business side? So we've talked about your schedule and you know, about staying motivated and having a very disciplined approach. But now, how do you how do you just keep it? going. How do you keep the gig going and making sure that you continuously show up every day? And maybe maybe from there maybe even what advice you would offer to somebody who is just starting out, just wanting to take that leap of faith into their creative passion?
1: Yeah. So as an artist there are there are a few different avenues that you could go down. So I started off making an original painting and digitizing it and offering prints. As, as a purchasable option. So at that stage, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Uh, a lot of artists do this as well because it is an affordable option and you get a lot of sales. Uh, unfortunately, it is also very labour intensive. There's a lot of logistics, a lot of posting, uh, a lot of documenting, photographing, getting prints. So there's a lot of financial outlay as well as, your time that takes away from creating the original artwork itself and you're looking at I mean I know this is a good profit margin but you're looking at maybe 20 percent profit margin for the amount of work that you're putting in there and I was finding because I was doing a few originals trying to make prints and I was also doing commissions that my time was better spent making once-off artwork for higher value rather than making prints and then essentially selling knockoffs of the original artwork that I was making. So my transition then became focused on creating value, adding value to my collector's experiences, to the artwork itself, to the experiences of people online. So I focused my time more intensively on my original artwork rather than – immediate sales, I guess. And so creating value where it is more most important to you. So I would say to artists, decide what business you want. Uh, So if you want to create artwork that that is accessible to multiple, to a larger body of people. So you're looking at creating more quantity versus quality to reach that target market uh, or you can go down the avenue of a more valuable item that reaches a smaller amount of people that you can dedicate more of your time to uh, producing and therefore selling. So uh, my business took on the more valuable aspect rather than the quantitative aspect. So I had to become very decisive about how I was going to do that. And what that looked like. And I had no idea at the start how it was going to go and sort of it's grown on its own now. And I predominantly now make original artwork, highly valuable original artwork that sells once off to people all over the world. And so the business side of that is constantly evolving, I think, (laughs) especially where I'm going with my five-year plan. Going forward, there's also different ways that you can go with prints. Uh, it all comes down to what you want to see uh, as your brand structure. So you can create an original work and still create a limited, a uh, range of prints. So we're talking a small number of prints released that uh, are a higher value. So it it's sort of it's hard to sort of give people advice for a business structure that has got so many different variables because, I mean, you can print merchandise, you can put your artwork on T-shirts, on mugs, on everything really. So it comes down to what artwork you're making, so what the visual quality is. Uh, I think along the more traditional lines, so the still life landscape, wildlife artwork, portraiture, things like that, if you're going along the more traditional side, you've got to consider what your audience is going to be looking for If you're wanting to give them something more valuable, how are they going to see the value? Where are you going to attach the value to? If you want to create something that is a little bit more playful, something that people aren't exactly going to look at from a traditional point of view, but maybe more uh, an interior designer's point of view, so like a big painting, bright and colourful, really playful uh, it's possibly not too serious. That you can you can go down more the prints, merchandise side a lot easier uh, because people aren't going to be expecting those pieces to be at a higher value So you've you got to really assess what artwork you're making, uh, what it looks like from a third-person perspective. So I'll get a lot of people that send me photographs of their, their artwork that they do and they say, how do I charge lots of money for this? Uh, wow,
0: what a question. You
1: can't just, you
0: yeah. can't,
1: It's there's so many different things attached to value. So when you're adding value to a painting, it's not just the painting itself. It's what you're creating around it. So everything that comes down to my videos, the way that I present the artwork, I frame them, I ship them. Everything comes with an authenticity package as well. Uh, all the sales are done directly through me and it's a very personal very involved experience so the collector's not just uh, clicking adding to cart and then entering their shipping details i want to know what they're expecting you know is the frame going to work for their their space is the artwork going to work for their space what are they wanting from from this collaboration is it an investment piece or you know are they just in love with it because I do a re-evaluation of the value of my artwork Um, starting end of this year I'll be evaluating the artwork that I sold three four years ago and re-sending the authenticity packages so that they have an update market value so the artwork that people bought three four years ago is now worth three times the price so they if they were insuring their artwork they would be insuring it for a lower value for what they would worth now so it's also there's there's a lot of different layers to sort of how I handle my collectors and look after their investment as well as pursuing the next sale so I get a lot of my motivation from my collectors they are awesome people to work with because I'm able to do one-on-one with them and being able to send them a new authenticity certificate saying hey your artwork's actually worth a thousand dollars more if you were to lose it in a fire and want me to do it again i would actually be asking for this much for it whereas you paid this much so there's they can see the growth and i create lots of charts and it's all very involved where i can track the process
0: that's incredible Um, (laughs) I, i i also think in those terms but i haven't carried it to the degree that you you do that's that's absolutely amazing isn't it interesting as well that, that your, your buyers and your clients, they actually want to know that what they have is valuable. I find that you know, when it comes to pricing our work and putting a monetary value, we sell ourselves short. All the time, all the
1: time, yeah. and
0: I, I found that that's actually cost me a lot of sales as well by making things too cheap. i, I even I—I I had people want to know that this was going to be an expensive exercise, and it took me ages to to get my head around that because I, I realized later that it was it was what this person could say it was worth at the barbecue. They—they they were like, "Hey, you see yeah. that? Guess what I paid for that." You know? <laughs> It wasn't about getting the deal, yeah. No, but but I I love that as as a even as a strategy for getting back in touch with your your collectors and letting them know, hey. And it's not that they, I'm sure, um, because I I can see this with your work. It's not that they're primarily concerned with the investment value. They bought that painting because they loved it, absolutely. But it, it, it must be nice to have that added bonus, that benefit of knowing that, hey, it's really, you know got some gravity and it's really building Absolutely. Wealth as well.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's good for them to be able to see it uh, physically as well. When they get the, the new certificate, I haven't sent any new ones out because it's obviously hasn't been happening for so long. I'm only now reassessing the ones that I did three, four years ago to resend the value out now. And then it'll be yearly from that. So everything that's four years in the past will have a substantial value added certificate attached to it which I'll send through and everyone now I made these um like medallions I don't have any on me at the moment they're at the back there somewhere um they're an authenticity token that is made specifically with my logo on it that has the name of that I engraved their artwork into at the back and it has a certain authentic number that only I keep a record of
0: oh, come so on you every... gotta show me one of these medallions come on I'll
1: hold <laughs> I'll go <to> grab it <laughs>
0: And if you're listening to this, she's just going into the back of the studio now to grab one of these and and talk to us about it.
1: So this is one of the sold ones that's sitting in an exhibit at the moment and they're very patiently waiting for their artwork. So, I mean, I want to get more fancy than this when it comes to the box. So I had a, a wax seal stamp with my logo printed on it which I stamped on the box like that. Wow. And then in the box, you get this fancy medallion.
0: That is medallion. So let's just describe this for the people that are listening. This is about the size of your average Olympic gold medal, just about. Yeah. And so it's got uh, your, your initial, your signature, signature there, signature. your logo. And And then
1: on the back, it's been engraved with Carla Grace, Token of Authenticity. And then it's got a unique token number, which links to the authenticity certificate, the painting and my records. And then I then engrave it by hand with the title of the artwork on the back of it.
0: That is incredible. That right there is, is such a beautiful example of going above and beyond and adding value. I mean, it, it it might seem, you know, maybe some people are listening to this going, come on, guys, this is really trivial. This is just a little, <laughs> this is too gimmicky. But I actually think that these little touches make all the difference in the world world to your clients. I also think, I heard something recently in an audio book, and it dawned on me that, that this was what I'd been doing. And and also, this is what my father, when he was training me in the beginning and, and my my agent and dear friend, Colin Dixon, they, they were trying to get this through to me. But when I heard it in this audiobook, it I don't know why, it's been years later, well over a decade, something went click. It's like, you're not in the selling business, you're in the reselling business. And I feel that all of these touches are like what you're doing here, this is makes them want to come back and reinvest yeah. in you yeah. and, and reinvest in their future by owning another original how have you found in terms of selling that your repeat business do, do, you, do you find that's true for you as well that repeat business is actually makes up a significant portion of your of your absolutely sales?
1: um i get collectors coming back all the time for another piece uh I guess they just like me as well because they invite me over for dinner. If I'm going to the city that they live in, they always want to come and connect with me. Uh, so there's, it's not just a sale to me. I'm, I'm building a relationship with people that have been part of uh, a substantial part of my success. Uh, I don't consider myself independent to my collectors. Uh, it's it's a it's a very close knit, very involved. A group of people, and so I do my best to like these authenticity tokens. It's just a cool thing to have. Sure. Um, I yeah. know if I bought a painting, just getting a painting on its own, you put it on, on your wall, and sweet, okay, um, then it's done. You know, tick, I bought a painting, but then you get something else that you can look at separate to the painting that reminds you of not just the painting, but the person behind the painting. And the experience you've had with that person is also part of that whole experience. It's not just, it's not just a number. It's not just ticking a sales box. It's you're, you're investing something into someone else's life and they're going to pass that on to their kids. You know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So to give them something personal um, like, I'd like to get way more personal than, than an authenticity token. I want to get far more fancy. Um, and I've seen other artists, they, they, they get, um, like, fountain pens made um, with engravings on it, with the title, with their logo. They get cool brushes made. Like, this being a medallion, it's just, it's a trivial thing. Um, it can be anything. Um, but when you personalize it to the person that's investing in your career and your life and your brand, uh, it's just a little bit extra, just a nice little touch. Mm. And I mean, we want to go even further and, you know, send them my favorite bottle of wine. Like, hope you enjoy this bottle of wine. You know, it's my favorite one. Made me think of this. You make it far more interpersonal rather than just a transaction because, it's so much more than a transaction
0: yeah i, I, I wow wow <laughs> I, I i just uh, you you have no idea i just think that is pure gold that is that is fantastic no pun intended on the golden dollar <laughs> that is just that is fantastic because what what it comes down to then in this circumstance is you are You're right. I mean, yes, it's about the painting, okay, and they've got a fantastic painting hanging on the wall if they buy one of your pieces, but also it's the personal association with the artist. That's where the real value lies. And And that's
1: the difference between galleries and being accessible through social media. Galleries will remove the artist completely from the transaction. Uh, Mm. But social media, you're it. You're everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: That's that's amazing. You know, I, I had some experiences with galleries where they fiercely maintain that middle ground and I couldn't even meet them. They're even hovering around at exhibition openings where I might get a chance to meet them and they're just careful yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Do I want to do a deal on the side? Oh, I'm not inviting them to my studio, am I? And I'm mm. thinking, you know what? I, I this, this is what I want to do. I want to personally interact with the people that make my life possible i have a genuine love in my heart for them because they allow me to continue to live and you owe
1: it to them almost as well like you for an artist to think of themselves like as, as superior to their collectors because their their artwork is highly valuable and collectible and these people are spending their money on them it's it's naive to to separate yourself from your collectors like that because They've worked hard for that money that they're investing in you as well. Like it's you're working hard for that money that they're spending on you and they've worked hard for that money that they're spending for you. So it's you just gotta be a good person. <laughs> like you've gotta be a good person.
0: <laughs> I hear it. I hear it, Carla. I, I think that's that's amazing. Look, I, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Me too. <laughs> I would like to just maybe ask you a question that I ask many of my other guests. It's always interesting where this question goes. Maybe it's a little corny, but I, I <laughs> like it all the same because I find myself constantly thinking about my life, the trajectory it's it's taken and, you know, how I have become to, to be in the position that I'm in now, you know, being a full-time artist, loving life, loving what I do, loving who I share it with. I often think, you know, if I could go back and change anything, would I? If I could go back and talk to my younger self, what would I say? And so let me pass that question to you. If you could go back and talk to Carla as a 10-year-old girl, what advice would you give her?
1: Uh, This is actually something I think about a lot. Uh, It's actually quite a, a big passion of mine to have someone speak in my life about art In a way that destroys the stereotype associated with it. So, I was never one, I'd never wanted to be an artist because, you know, the starving artist, not a good career choice. So, I wish that during school, so not like not even uni, during school, when you're thinking about what you want to be when you grow up, and you know how parents always, adults always ask kids that. So, what do you want to do when you grow up? I wish that I could go to the little, young version of me even through to the last years of my high school and say you can be an artist not just because you're good at it but because it's a viable option and these are the things that you should focus on rather than art school like study business study marketing think about what art you like and why you like it and then study that Um, like going into high schools like I have this dream where I go to high schools and I talk to the art students and get real with them about what it is to be an artist. Like none of that's taught at high school. People don't even think about art as a business. So, yeah, I would go back to little 10-year-old me and say, don't worry, you can be an artist if you want to be. (laughs) And just don't worry about what other people think about it because anything's possible, really, if you're good at it.
0: Well, Carla, I, I must admit this has been a real treat for me. I feel so motivated right now to get back down to the studio and get back into painting. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on the Creative Endeavor podcast. Maybe uh, c- could you tell people out there where they can find more of your work and and connect with you?
1: Um, yeah, I have everything online uh, through Facebook, Instagram, and I also have my website, so Carla underscore... Grace underscore art is where you'll find me on Instagram. Otherwise, carlagraceart.com is the website and Facebook is Carla Grace Art. So those are the three main platforms that I use and I'm accessible through them daily.
0: Fantastic. Well, Carla, thank you so much for being on the creative endeavor.
1: Thanks for having me. It was awesome.
0: Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge thank you to Carla Grace for joining me. That was an epic interview. She gave me so much food for thought and I hope that you found a few little tips in here and a few nuggets of wisdom to take away and maybe something to put to action. I really appreciate her being so open with me as well and sharing a bit more about her past and the thought process and some of those technical aspects behind her work. Now, if you want to see her paintings again, make sure you check her out on Instagram at Carla underscore Grace underscore art and her website, www.carlagraceart.com. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor, then why don't you take a minute and leave this a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I would really appreciate it. It helps a podcast get a little more discoverable and pushes it to the top of that list a little bit and helps other people find these inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. Now, of course, you can find out more about me on my website at www.andrewtischler.com. I'm also on social media. All of the links are there on the website. And if you haven't already, make sure you take the time to check out my YouTube channel. Just search my name on YouTube. But most important make sure you're subscribed through my website at andrewtischler.com. I'm in touch with my subscribers very regularly and it's absolutely free to do so. So simply go to www.andrewtischler.com slash subscribe and put in your name and email address there and we'll be in regular contact. Again, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to being with you once again with another edition of The Creative Endeavor. Bye.